primarily we're selling recycled nylon six uh, from gillnets, from monofilament gillnets, into uh, the 3D printing industry and conventional injection molding industry. My approach is very much a low carbon, low energy, localised approach. We don't address fishing net disposal by transporting waste nets around the world. It's, we, we make them pay for themselves. Good day to you all and welcome to another episode of Fathom Season 2. So following on from some of our recent short flash episodes, this time around we take a deep dive and explore various issues and initiatives around marine plastics, recycling and circular economy within the fishing industry. So with both climate change and sustainability as standalone objectives within the Fisheries Act, the industry will no doubt see some significant changes over the next decade. Whilst a completely decarbonised fleet might be a way off, there are certainly some positive moves happening around the coast which will all play their part in transitioning towards net zero. So first up this week, we speak with Ian Falconer from Fishy Filaments. Fishy Filaments has been designing and developing ways to take end-of-life monofilament nets and process them into engineer-grade 3D print filament. Based in Newlin and working directly with the Gillnet fleet, Fishy Filaments is creating localised solutions to these global challenges and certainly adding value to something that in many parts of the world is classed as waste. I caught up with Ian on the back of a global award win from the 3D plastic world, so it's great that he's getting the recognition for his innovation. Anyway, that's it. That's enough from me here now. Let's get into it. Over to the Fishy Filaments Lab in Sandy Cove, Newlin. So before we get into it, I mean, obviously, this is a massive subject and, and it's a global mission, global challenge. Not just fishing, obviously, the whole world in terms of plastics and dealing with waste and, and this kind of circular economy approach being much more of the way to go. But maybe just to give everyone a quick summary, because we have got listeners from as far up in the Scottish Isles right down here to Cornwall. Most people probably know about you here. And in the 3D print world, you're obviously well known with a recent award win. But yeah, maybe just give people a bit of a, a quick update to where Fishing Filaments introduced itself to the fishing community and where it is right now. Sure. So uh, back in 2016 was when uh, I launched Fishy Filaments as a project um, and started to get introduced to um, the fishing industry down here in Cornwall uh, via Fishing Filter originally uh, and then through uh, Rob Parsons and the Harbour Master down here in Newlin uh, and yourself. So it was uh, kind of starting um, outside the active catch sector and more of uh, the surrounding support and um, uh, waste management end of the of the the challenge. So that was 2016. In 2017, there was enough interest to, to get the initial funding. Um, that funding was uh, generated through crowdfunding and effectively sold 30% of the company up front uh, before I'd done anything, before any feet, feet hit the ground or any nets were pulled. I sold 30% uh, of my interest in, in an idea. Um, and there was appetite out there from investors. I mean, this was before Blue Planet. So that even before the kind of public visibility of uh, marine plastics, there was people out there that were interested enough to put, put in their hard-earned cash. Um, and uh, £200,000 got us going, um, got us some uh, working space, which we're sitting in right now. So we, we, for, for listeners, we, we're sitting in some um, converted shipping containers just outside the harbour, Newlyn Harbour, um, off the South Pier. So yeah, 2017, we started to, to put together the working part of the business. 2018, we had um, boots on the ground and started to develop the process um, from 2019. We started selling the results of our recycling 
Um, and from then on, we've been building uh, capacity and the technology and the market for people to buy the material that we're taking from the fishing industry and recycling. Um, so primarily we're selling recycled nylon six uh, from gillnets, from monofilament gillnets um, into uh, the 3D printing industry and conventional injection molding industry. It, it's, a, it's a material that is in demand. Um, around 4 million tonnes of nylon six is made every year, new. Um, not much of that goes into the fishing industry. Um, around 150,000 tonnes a year globally goes into fishing nets and long lines. Um, and it's all nylon six or nylon six six, which is the material we're recycling here. So yeah, it's um, it's been going well. We've been growing our customer list regularly, and last night we were very, very, very pleased to win a global award in uh, the sustainability for additive manufacturing, which is the other name for three D printing. Yeah, that's that's huge, actually, especially in such a short space of time—five years from selling an idea before it even touched the ground, or even anything tangible to to getting some sort of global recognition for what you're doing. And uh, yeah, I think that's impressive. And even better that it's happening right here in Newlyn, right next to the harbour, working with, you know, you say the Gilnet fleet here, the Hake fleet, uh, is a great success story to have as a side to the industry. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and we, we, are, we also uh, are linked up with um, the MSA, the Marine Stewardship Council, mm-hmm. um, and uh, they used our material in their recent UK awards so as the trophy material, which is, uh, which is great to see. So it's absolute circularity, the, the, the material coming from the Hake fleet going back and giving them an award made out of their own nets. It's, yeah, yeah. It's great. Yeah, I love that. That's is, that is true. A uh, great example of circular economy right there. Um, <clears throat> you touched a bit on volumes, Ian, just so we can help get our heads around it. You, I'm sure there's out there in terms of understanding where, where, where the bulk of the volume is coming from in terms of uh, the plastics in the fishing industry. But I don't know, just for the purpose of this podcast, have you got any sort of idea of scale, like locally, regionally, nationally, internationally? Sure. So um, in Newlyn, uh We've got a pretty good handle on how much uh, mono comes through the the harbour. It's somewhere between 50 and 70 tonnes a year. Um, Now, some of that is actually not stuff that we can recycle. There's some of the uh, string that ties together the net panels. But uh, at maximum production, we'll be getting through 50 tonnes a year here at Newlyn. My estimate, um, this is internal fishy filaments proprietary data estimate, um, is that that's just under half of the whole UK monofilament availability. It's not used much in Scotland, if at all. There's some in Northern Ireland, uh, Wales, uh, along the South Coast, and there's not a lot used in the North Sea either. So it's it's a southwest and South Coast-focused um, waste disposal problem. The UK is a minor user in world terms. The fishing net manufacturing um, sector produces, as I say, somewhere around 150,000 tonnes a year total of, of nylon mono. Mm. Um, m- most of that is in Asia, um, and uh, some of it is recycled in Asia. Uh, some of it is recycled in Europe um, and North America, but not a great deal. Uh, I'm only aware of two recycling plants in Europe who deal with mono. Uh, one of them is the, the aquafil plant in Slovenia, the other one is uh, in Spain. There may be some smaller local ones that I'm not aware of, mm. but their capacity is nowhere near the amount that is actually used in the, in the industry. So there is an excess in the industry that needs that is, is either uh, landfilled or incinerated, um, which is a shame because it's, it, 
in general, really quite good material and deserves to be used again. Yeah, yeah, totally understand. Yeah, thanks. It's good to wrap our heads around. I think it's good to make those comparisons and know what we've got to deal with locally or regionally, should we say. Uh, but obviously understand on a national and sort of wider European level internationally as well what what the issue is what the scale is and where we sit within that perhaps that leads us on to like you say this is obviously a very valuable potentially quite a valuable material a very usable material and if it's being incinerated or going to landfill that just seems like a it's something that we need to address quickly and there is solutions out there but I, I don't know just again to help people understand from a from your approach from fishing filaments working here within the industry how, how are you starting to address that I know we touched on it briefly but maybe just delve into it a bit more sure so there's there's really kind of two things that are holding back recycling of mono first is regulation um certainly in some areas in, in europe it's kind of illegal to recycle it in germany it's it's really strange to hear that germany the center of plastics recycling won't allow fishing nets recycle so um odd so mm. there's, there's some regulatory challenges there but um it's it's been a an industry that has not taken off for technical reasons um, and economic reasons too. So my approach is very much a low carbon, low energy, localized approach. And historically that has not worked terribly well. The solutions that are out there right now are uh, 20th century solutions. They're, they're not um, built in such a way to enable the industry to actually, the, the recycling industry to support the fishing industry. They're more of a, a retrofit of waste management into fisheries. So they're not really dedicated for fisheries. They're a byproduct of waste management. So people have noticed that there is a valuable material there and it, it can be kind of co-opted into the, this old way of recycling and still make money, but it's not terribly efficient for the, for the fishing industry. Um, and it, it means that the, the recycling of fishing nets hasn't really taken off over the last 20 or 30 years. So we're doing it in a new way um, and specifically to support the fishing industry rather than trying to shoehorn in this, this 20th century set of technologies. Um, and um, it works really well. And it was super, super efficient. Our, our carbon impact for our, our process is only 2 to 3% of that of virgin nylon. So um, if you're making a widget, making it, say, let's say, a button out of nylon, very common thing, uh, 46 billion a year of buttons are made. If you're making a button out of virgin nylon, it will cost one unit of carbon. We can make 46 buttons out of our recycled nylon for the same carbon cost as a one fresh new yeah. virgin nylon button, yeah. and it will perform exactly the same. Wow, yeah, that's really helpful, actually, to get my head wrapped around it because there's a lot of numbers flying around in terms of carbon output. How the industry can get to that point and obviously yeah. net zero that word just constantly keeps coming up but it's simple to understand when you say something like that and like you say you're an inventor so actually while we're here i think it's a really good chance to ask you a question um which i'm sure you've thought about can we go back earlier on in the process in terms of actually gear manufacturing so if we're knowing that the, there has to be a recycling process do we need to get more interactive or or working with the gear manufacturers to actually come up with some design some innovation there on that side so we know that what we've got at the end of it is easy to sort of or easier for you to work with sure um, I, mean, I have talked to gear manufacturers um, i had some inquiries from other, some of the larger gear manufacturers in the world um, the thing for recycling plastics recycling especially is the simple the, the less materials 
the better. The simpler the, the chemical challenge is. So if you can throw everything into one big pot, then fantastic. The physical challenge of working in the sea, in the ocean, it, it, it's unlikely that we'll get all fishing gear made out of a single material. I, I think that's unrealistic. There are a number of projects out there looking to change the materials to maybe a bio-based material. I, I think we're a way off for of, of bio-based materials, not least because they will challenge some of the other economics of fishing quite a lot. That's not to say that you couldn't produce a bio-based nylon, uh, if, if effectively the same nylon but made from not crude oil, but uh, genetically modified yeast. That is happening in California right now. But inevitably that will take a number of years to get to, to market and it'll take a number more years to get from the high value fashion end of the market into the lower value industrial end of the market. So uh, I don't think we're going to see bio nylon for at least 10 years in fishing. Sure. Um, and that's not to say don't work towards it. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, our technology um, at Fishy Filaments is designed specifically to be uh, source agnostic. So we don't care if it's bio-based nylon or if it's crude oil-based nylon. If it's nylon in monofilament form, we can recycle it using exactly the same kit. Mm. So we're ready for that swap over. So yes, I thought about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there are there are some areas where I think there are um, uh, opportunities that are a bit more immediate, um, where challenges are tougher. But we need to start the journey, and I, th I think potting is is probably the, the biggest challenge there. Mm. Just the physical complexity of, of um, pots these days uh, getting a, a simpler build that is simpler to recycle because right now they're pretty much impossible to recycle mm. yeah is that just through contaminate contamination materials or just the complexity of materials that are used within the manufacturing of a pot? the mix of materials yeah and because they're they're not terribly big a, mm. a pot is a pot you know it's very discreet yeah um, and to have I mean, we just next door to in the compound um, we've got a pile of a couple of hundred lobster pots each one of them has at least seven different polymers in it. So in clips and different net types and ties and this and the other. So deconstructing that manually is never going to make economic sense. So designing a, a, a mechanized way of deconstructing those things is going to be really, really complicated. Mm. And you're looking at uh, a, a robotic smart system that can handle these things and pick them apart mm. before you're, you're actually going to generate any useful waste out of the end. Yeah. It's a really complicated task and simplifying the design of pots would make that task an awful lot easier. Mm. Maybe that's the place as a bit of an intervention to, to start then. It's certainly something that I'd have looked at through 3D printing lobster pots at, at a, a meter scale is certainly something that is I think would be useful to try mm. and learn stuff from. Um, I'm not saying that that would be the, the ultimate solution, um, but you can 3D print our material at a metre scale. So we could recycle the nets into lobster pots and print the lobster pots on the harbour side. I think there's, there's, a, there's an economic model in there, possibly. Yeah, that's got to be worth a trial, hasn't it? So I guess a big barrier to a lot of this stuff is, uh, is, is the financial part of it, is actually financing the infrastructure, the, the research, the innovation that goes in behind this. And if we're going to scale it up, it's great you're here in Newlyn, but yeah, it's like you say, it's a global issue. So scaling that up is going to require finance. Um, I'm always keen to hear about your thoughts on that. Who, who, who essentially is 
responsible in, in, in one question for financing that? Is this something that could be shared across the supply chain? Or, you know, through what you're doing, obviously through 3D printing, you've probably got, well, I know you've got some very interesting clients and interesting projects and the products you're developing or already creating and putting into the market is obviously another alternative way to scale this up. So I don't know. It'd be good yeah. to just get your input on that and how we can how we can scale up. How do we finance it? Absolutely. It's it's it, any new um, technology is a challenge to scale. But um, unless you're in software, when you kind of can scale infinitely very cheaply. But in in the physical world, scaling is is a capital intensive activity. Um, and the way that I've progressed it so far is to go to private individuals almost the entire capital uh, funding for fishy filaments has been through share sales to individuals um, but we're getting to the, t- the, the time in the company evolution and the, the level of um, technological maturity that now other avenues are opening so uh, venture capitalists um, uh, funds those kind of things um, investment funds so there are uh, definitely profit driven um, opportunities for investment in recycling infrastructure and the way that we're adding um, value through the the actual value of the material and adding value through the decarbonisation of other people's supply chains by supplying that material at almost zero carbon cost to them is very attractive for, for big businesses. So if you're a car maker or you're a sportswear brand, you're getting through thousands and thousands of tonnes of nylon every year. And there are laws in play right now that say that you, thou shalt not spend your carbon budget on raw materials. You, you should find other ways of sourcing your raw materials. Um, and there's lots of interest from those larger entities, uh, both in the material and in securing supplies of it. So that's one way of, of uh, getting capital into the, the build, partnering with the customer. Um, but I think there's, there's definitely a role for both the industry and for government support as well. Um, I think the, the responsible thing for every industry is to, to take care of their own waste. In, in other industries, the polluter pays mechanism is, is kind of well established and packaging is, is in other areas, fridges, you know, the mm. fridge recycling is part, paid for by the fridge makers. Mm. And where previously uh, the recycling industry for fishing nets was just basically these two plants. The way that we're doing it opens the opportunity to be able to be a lot more granular in how you fund the infrastructure. So whether an individual company takes care of its own nets and funds their own recycling plant, or whether a region funds their regional recycling Mm -hmm. plant, or a country, or whatever, it it opens the door to a, a range of funders. And I've, I've seen interest from local governments not, in, not necessarily in the UK, but around the world, from NGOs, conservation NGOs, uh, social justice NGOs, economic development NGOs, um, uh, and I've seen uh, lots of interest from entrepreneurs who want to be able to develop uh, their own local, localised small circular economies yeah. and take responsibility for the whole of their supply chain multiple multiple ways of getting cash in to fund this kind of solution and then it becomes no cost to the industry at the same yeah, time absolutely which is ultimately the, the way that it's going to work it's going to be something that's right. comes to an end of end of time and there's local infrastructure around or some sort of transportation there to take it away and deal with it and that helps the industry get to where it needs to get to in that sense so it's quite 
is, is big is a, is a big subject, but you know, a simple a simple solution almost in, in that sense. Yeah, it, it is a big subject, but break it down into the, into mm. the individual business yeah. units, and then you're talking about a portion time. Yeah, for sure. So, a half million pounds uh, investment in the first plant in in our fleet will show the uh, the full uh, design in reality fully operating and automated mm. and I'll process maybe 50 tons 50 to 100 tons a year so that's all of Newland mm-hmm. and possibly if you double up the shifts maybe all of Brixham as well yeah um, and that will be self-sustaining it's not a subsidized operation but but the, but the benefit the wider community the collective benefit of something like this is uh, obviously really positive Absolutely, and we're we're seeing, I think, the last count, five new businesses in Cornwall based on material from the MSC Cornish Hake fleet. I want to say thank you to the to the fishermen. Uh, without them bringing the nets and making the nets available, then you know there's there's nothing there's, there's no business here. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we I get offered nets from around the world to bring here, so there's no shortage of willingness from the fisheries around the world to do what we're doing here. Mm. Um, my challenge is to, to to prove the economics of it to the people who actually spend the money on the plant. Yeah, and technologically, uh, I think it, we've got to the point now where that people cannot deny that what I'm doing works, mm-hmm. um, and the, the data that we've produced with the University of Exeter shows the carbon impact is incredibly low, and that we can do more things along the along the technological route, like adding renewable energy and recycling yeah. the water and this and the other. So we can make it even better. But the challenge is getting it out into West Africa and Thailand and the, mm. uh, the coast of Bangladesh, and, and there's, there's interest from all these regions. Um, it's it really is just getting the cash into the system and building the units to put there. Yeah. And um, that's how we address it. We, we don't address fishing net disposal by transporting waste nets around the world. It's we, we make them pay for themselves. Yeah, localized solutions. Fathom was brought to you by the Cornish Fish Producers Organisation and funded by the Seafarers Charity.